0: super talk mississippi media production
1: have you
2: been seriously injured mama justice is here for you our medical team partners with top-notch doctors surgeons therapists and urologists ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey if you've been injured call mama justice today we're here for you
0: he's the former president and publisher of the sun herald and now he's on the radio Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1.
2: Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Hope you're having a great Friday. Uh, We've had a really good week here on Coast View. I've gotten so much positive feedback. I continue to to be blown away with the number of people who are paying attention to these incredible conversations. But it is Friday on you and uh, with that said, let me go ahead and welcome my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and The Times-Picayune into the conversation. And first of all, just say good morning to you, buddy. How are you doing?
1: doing good, Ricky. Good morning to you and everyone out there. It's, uh, it's a great time of year, right, in the Gulf, Gulf Coast area. I mean, it's perfect weather, the bugs haven't gotten too bad yet. We're not sweating. <laughs> uh, to me, this is my this and the fall are my two favorite times.
2: I, I love it, too, man. I, I, most, you know, the listeners know this. You probably know it, too. I'm kind of famous for being an early riser. And I'll get up. I get up early and an uh, hour or two before the sun wakes up and, you know, do some reading. But, man, this, you know, this morning, as soon as the sun started to break, I hit I hit the yard and my goal today was I call it the lower 40 but it's our yard that's on the other side of our bulkhead that goes out toward the marsh and I you know when you when you're on the back deck and look at it it doesn't seem that big but um, I have a electric, I have a, a battery powered lawnmower, really good one in my dad, and it's a two battery mode when you're down there. But I just love, you know, I love this time of year. I love getting the exercise. I love getting down there, making it look good. You know, I'm uh, doing the read the Bible in a year process, and had Father Mike in my ear the whole time. Um, you know, going through going through the Book of John. And uh, anyway, so it's kind of an inspiring morning for me. But anyway, yes, a beautiful time of year. Fishing's going to be cranking up. We, we we'd actually be headed out doing some fishing uh, Saturday, actually, if it weren't for just a terrible forecast. So it is what it is. But that's that's the way it is, and in, uh, in, on the coast, is not it?
1: Yeah, you know, this is a good time of year. The fish start moving in. We see a lot of spawning. Uh, I wish I could get out more. You know, I've been working on this Gleason book and. It's kind of got me uh, handcuffed to my writing desk, but I'll get there. I'll get back out on the water as soon as, uh, as soon as we get done.
2: Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that now for the for the audience. You should know we're because of the way that we're able to to uh, pencil Jeff in. We're actually recording this on Thursday, so this will run Friday. So when when this airs, we. have recorded literally 24 hours ago uh, we'll talk a little bit about the masters to, to crank the conversation up um, you know obviously by the time this airs we'll sort of know what day one looked like but we'll still let you know sort of what our thinking is as of as of this moment um, man the the activity especially as you think about leading up to the draft you got pre-draft visits that are happening lots of cool things happening Jeff and his team at Nolan.com and the times picayune unit have been getting together and and sharing what their analysis of of the needs for the saints are going to be. And we can talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, I want to spend some time also talking about the Pelicans, man. I mean, they, they finally put some, uh, you know, a good stretch of games together. They, they, you know, Brandon Ingram has been, you know, he's said, you know, he's had a little bit inconsistently lately, but he's been playing lights out. And uh, looks like looks like Pelicans get to continue on at least for for the time being. So we'll talk about that as well. So with oh, and by the way, at the end of the conversation, I want to I want to circle back because we have a whole show together. I want to talk about uh, we've we've kind of hit at it, but I want to get in a little bit more deeply about your your work with Steve Gleason and the process that you're going through to write his book. And uh, I just think you know, getting the insights about that what what an incredible lesson for all of us to learn about how to overcome adversity and I know that's what this book is going to be about. So, uh, with that said, let's come back up to um, the Masters. I've got I've got my thoughts, but before we before I weigh in, sort of frame the Masters, man. This this incredible epic event that happens every year.
1: Well, I'm going through a lot of FOMO right now, Ricky, because I've covered the Masters. I covered it uh, numerous times in my career and uh, haven't been back in a while. But every time the tournament rolls around, it really, uh, I have some fond memories going back there. I can remember my mentor at the time speaking, Peter Finney, always told me that uh, event and the Kentucky Derby are must events for you as a columnist. And he's right. I mean, it is unpar- unparalleled, I think. Uh, as far as from my seat as a columnist. I mean, the spectacle of sport, the tradition, the history. uh, I'm not even talking about how beautiful the golf course is. I mean, it's immaculate. Everything you hear doesn't do it justice until you get on the course and just see. I mean, there literally is not a piece of trash anywhere. And I I know that sounds crazy, but there isn't. And uh, you feel like you've kind of gone back in time to like a, a pastoral setting The the merchandise is incredible. The um, the um, concessions are still like frozen in time. You can get a sandwich for like two dollars, and you know a dollar for a soda drink. You know, it's just it's an amazing event that they've managed so well, and they know exactly what they are. They have never veered off of it. They've maintained their tradition, and you can just hear the reverence in the players as they speak about. The tradition and the excellence that that standard that they've they've held that golf course to over the years. So, yeah, it's everything and more. And I really encourage anybody, you can get into a practice round, get into the par three event early in the week, anything, just to get out there on the course. I wholeheartedly uh, would would recommend it. It is a bucket list experience.
2: My two brother-in-laws, uh, Peter Bohanovich and Alan Picard, actually got a chance. They got they you know they, they do a, I guess it's a lottery, but they got the draw and they went Sunday. And um, you know, just uh, the early reports have been it was just what a what a great experience. You know, it's interesting, man, because I, I I played golf every now and then uh, when I was younger. Uh, I kind of enjoyed it, but I never really had the time to get good at it. I mean, I was spent a lot of time fishing and hunting and. And then as my kids got older older, we you know, I'll coach soccer for a bunch of years and baseball and all of that. So I really never was able to, to, you know, devote the kind of time to it. And then later in my career, I was traveling like a wild man and involved in strategic initiatives. It just never was in the cards. But. Uh, but I got introduced to golf because of tiger woods, as as a as, as an as an observer of the game, not because I played the game, but I enjoyed watching the game because of Tiger Woods. And uh, because of that, I got more zeroed in over the many years to the masters. and obviously became more aware of what it is and what it meant, what it means to golf, and all of the uh, all the traditions around it, the beauty of that golf course. How difficult it is to to win. I mean, how you have to have it all together from the mental game to every aspect of your of your shooting. You know, came to really appreciate that. But you know, I mentioned before we started the show that when I was uh, you know young in my life as a publisher, and even before, when I was a vice president of operations, a lot of the uh, the newsprint vendors, some of the newsprint vendors actually were members of the club, and. So I had invitations to go to the masters almost every year, and I didn't understand what I was being asked to go to. You know, I look back on it now and I think to myself, "Lord, did I blow it?" Because I had this chance to—I even had a chance to play it once. Um, but again, I just didn't appreciate what it meant. But, but I do now. And and man, I'm—you know—I I woke up this morning thinking, man, you know, this is round round one. And it's just going to be a, a fun next few days, having the family over Sunday, you know, for, for the finals and all. It's just it's cool. It's got kind of fits this time of year, doesn't it?
1: Well, I think it kind of signals spring to all of us. The Masters, you know, they they hold it uh, th- this week for a reason because it really is when the perfect time of year for the fauna there to all start. Uh, you know, all the all the flowering trees and bushes that. The azaleas, yeah, the azaleas. Wow. It's just so beautiful there. Uh, it's all coincides with, with the you know the springtime in, in that part of Georgia, and and the way I look at it, Ricky, is that, you know we have certain stages in sports, right? And this is the stage, the pinnacle for the the world of golf. Uh, it rotates around. Some of these stages rotate in other sports, right? It rotates in the NFL. We have different Super Bowl sites, Final Fours, different sites, but in Golf. This is the stage, and so anything I think, as a spectator or as a media representative, any type of event where you see uh, the pinnacle of the sport, and you know that history is made every time that tournament is waged, uh, it just kind of raises it to another level. You see, you know, the drama and, and the and the, the competition at the highest level. These guys, all these pros, all work all year early on for this. Event. I mean, this is it. No one, no one skips the Masters. Put it that way.
2: Well, and what's interesting, there's there's this kind of sub storyline that's really big time, and that is that the live golfers are actually golfing in the Masters. And I watched a live golf tournament. It was either last weekend or weekend before last. And to be quite honest with you, it was hard to watch. I found the graphics weird and moving. And when they when they toured the golf course from an aerial point of view, that moved too fast. And they had their shorts on and they weren't, you know, it's just it was weird. I didn't I just as a as a spectator, I didn't like it. Well, I might have been biased by the fact that I don't like live golf period for all the reasons that you and I so love journalism. And what that what what unfortunately what that what this. Stands for in terms of Saudi Arabia and tough, to, you know, bad decisions they've made along the way and all that. But when we come back on the other side, I want to get your view on how you think all of that is playing out. I think it's kind of been calm so far, but we'll get your point of view about that as well. We'll see Jeff Duncan on the other side.
3: live or on demand and watch episodes of coast view on your laptop desktop or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com his love
0: for the coast is why he's here it's coast view with ricky matthews on supertalk mississippi gulf coast 103.1
2: Welcome back to Coast View. We're talking with my friend Jeff Duncan from Nola.com and The Times-Picayune, and he's just an overall sports expert. Obviously, he, as he mentioned, he's covered PGA, especially the Masters. He's covered uh, horse racing. He's just uh, sort of a, a sports aficionado. Most sports guys are. He's a Saints expert. He pays a lot of attention to LSU and and the Pelicans. And right now, we're just talking about the Masters and sort of you could say a collision course was sort of charted when LIV Golf was created that and then the Masters board said we would invite LIV golfers to be part of this. Now they're all coming together. Yeah, I would say it's been kind of muted for the most part. What, what's your view on it?
1: Yeah, you know, it's the first time these guys have come together on the same course this year and a lot of them have talked about it this week during the press conferences and you're right, it hasn't really been an issue at least from the players' point of view. Uh, everyone seems to be cordial. I don't think there's any kind of... Look, there's a subtle under, undertone there. It was going to be a news story for sure because it's the first time they've come together. And it's not the not the last. They'll be at these major events where they play together. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's certainly something, I think, going forward that's going to evolve. And we're going to see how this uh, live tour survives. Will it survive? Will it have staying power? Or is this just a... Kind of a two-year flash in the pan type of event, uh, where uh, the Saudi government is basically trying to make a money grab and, and uh, PR wash of its uh, of its legacy. So I don't, I'm not sure where it's going, but I know it's already created ripple effects on the PGA Tour, and some of them I'm a little concerned about. I mean, you know, being over here in in New Orleans with the Zurich Classic, which I cover every year. That's coming up in a couple weeks. It's a non-designated event. They're talking about having these designated uh, tournaments now on the PGA Tour, and it really kind of makes, makes things uh, like a have and have nots of the, of the major tournaments now. And uh, you know, trying to get the Zurich on the map and become a designated event. Are they going? Are they? Are they going to uh, make this a? Uh, you know, rolling type of designation where every other year the the Zurich gets to be a designated event. I mean, there's just so much right now, uh, so much, so many moving parts to the story of how live, live golf has affected uh, the PGA Tour and, and the future of the PGA Tour. I think we still don't know the answers to.
2: Well, let's face it. Uh, you know, you you got golfers like Phil Mickelson and um, uh, Dustin Johnson. Kepka. they weren't necessarily big fan favorites to begin with when they you know when just in general just because of the approach that they took Cameron Smith on the other hand you know I I've, I've, I've read where he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder so he can he wants to prove that live golfers can can measure up but you know what I wonder about you know you one, one of the one of the interesting stories is Roy McElroy and the way he's Wants to win the Masters so bad, and he's really at the top of his game physically. He's really striking the ball really well right now, etc. A lot of good analysis of him, but a lot of stories around this sports psychologist that he's spending time with. And I, I think you know, sort of, that's a symbol of what of what uh, most of these players have to be thinking about, and that is that this once you get bring the skill. The Masters is a head game. Well, golf is a head game, but Masters is really a head game. And Roy's trying to master that. You know, when you think about the head game part of it, I wonder what's in Phil Mickelson's head, though. I wonder what's in Dustin Johnson's head and Kepka's head about whether you know how their fr- their friends, because these are friends of theirs, how they feel about them, how the general public you know, on the you know on the course, how do they feel about them? I wonder how it affects the head game part of it. That's 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 something I'm curious about.
1: Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see how they perform this week, right? I mean, you know, there's a lot of pressure at the Masters. Obviously, Uh, Phil Mickelson's won this event, uh, you know, multiple times. He's one of the best on that course. Uh, He's not playing the same level of golf he was, you know, years ago. But he he's shown that he can come back and win in his 50s. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Cam Smith is one of the elite golfers in the world. And uh, I think right now, the, the storyline going into this is that there really have been three, the big three that have kind of separated themselves from the rest of the tour, Rory McIlroy, uh, John Rahm, and Scotty Scheffler, defending, the defending champion. How are they going to perform, uh, especially a guy like John Rahm, who's played so well there but hasn't broken through and got his first green jacket. Roy McElroy we know, has never won there. Uh, so the, to me, those storylines... Regardless of the live, you know, we're going to play out because of the, you know, historic nature of, of the Masters and winning that event. That um, to me, that that's the storyline there. Those three guys will they continue to dominate like they have so far on the tour?
2: Yeah, Scheffler has looked amazing, man. I mean, you know, all three of those guys have looked amazing. And then, and then, you know, Jordan Spieth and and Justin Thomas are. They're coming in on – they're also, you know, building back ahead of steam. After each of them had sort of – you know, they had some – a lull in their career, especially especially Jordan. But they seem to be maturing now. Interesting. They're good friends, and they fly together and do all this – you know, they practice together and whatever. But, man, they're on a roll. So, I mean, these these young guys – yeah, you know, it'd be great to see these young guys come along and start dominating the game and bringing viewers back to the game, sort of in the way that that Tiger Woods was able to. We'll never see what Tiger did ever again. Uh, but, we, yeah,
1: but I watched the uh, they actually showed on the Golf Channel the uh, 1997 Masters kind of retrospective when he won his first Masters and just destroyed the field and. I mean that was unbelievable. I'd forgotten just how remarkable it was. I mean he's his first year as a pro, and he 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 set a record. You know, and we'll never see another. I think Tiger Woods. I just I don't believe we'll ever see someone at that level. But there are so many. I what I mean is dominate at that level because there's so many good young golfers now I mean the competition is fierce we see it every year it come to the Zurich these young golfers come through here I learn about them tell their stories and then you see them go on guys like Max Homa and Victor Hovland Uh, you know any of those guys could win Xander Schauffele won last year uh, at the Zurich Uh, he's going to be a contender Uh, you know we haven't mentioned Sam Burns the former LSU player I think he's got a great chance this week there's, there's so many good players if you just get hot at the right time. But you're right, Ricky. I mean, I've covered this event a bunch of times. It's so subtle that the mental makeup is so important at this event because you really this, this tournament, this golf course, it's more about not making mistakes than it is about playing, you know, scoring. It's more about avoiding the disastrous round, because it can happen so quickly there with the subtle undulations of the green. I mean, it really, if you haven't been to the course and walked it, and it, the, the TV doesn't do justice to the, the, the elevation and the undulations, and I mean, none of these greens are flat. They're all, you know, arced and uh, have these subtle, like, dips and hills and slants. And until you get out there and see them and see how fast they are and how difficult they are, it really you really appreciate how hard it is to score there.
2: yeah, the the viewer, the viewer, the thing about watching it on TV is that it, you do have a sense that it's mostly flat. But what I would ask people to do is watch watch some of the players on some of the holes when they're walking and they're actually leaning forward and they're leaning forward because they're literally walking uphill or or they're leaning backwards and they're actually walking down the hill. But one of the things that was really noticeable when they when in the par three. Uh, tournament they had, which is a lot of fun to watch because they got their family and their kids and, you know, all that. But man, how fast those greens are, man. I mean, you just have to just tap that ball and it's going to go 15 or 20 feet. Uh, man, the nuance of that, holy mackerel. If you can't putt, you will not win the Masters. There's no doubt about that, is there?
1: No, I mean, that's your short game is really critical here. And, uh, you know, being able to control uh, the ball off the tee. To put yourself in position to fire at these pins because where where the whole, the whole placement each round is so critical and it changes obviously every round. Uh, but you're right, the 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 speed of the greens, and I've never been on another uh, golf course where you actually have putts where you're actually putting away from the hole, <laughs> and right. the ball end up in the hole. I've never I've never seen anything like that. And it's so it's so fun to watch the strategy and see the the mental approach that these players take to getting through a round.
2: Yeah. I mean, you saw, you, saw, you know, obviously this wasn't putting, but on the holes in one that were made, uh, during during the par three deal, you could see. I mean, they they would they would hit twenty, thirty yards above the hole, maybe a little bit to the right with that backspin, and then it would almost seem to come to a stop ten feet out and just continue to roll right toward the hole. But uh, that's that's why it's so much fun to watch. Hey, listen, one other thing, Wright Thompson with ESPN. .com actually picked Tiger Woods, and he and all of the, all the guys, you know, they picked their guys, and he had one sentence. He said, just because it would be so much fun to watch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So. Oh, man, if Tiger won this thing, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he will. It, it, it sounds like they're not going to get a great break with the weather this week. That's unfortunate, and, and we know Tiger coming off of his accident uh, last year, that's what happened to him. I mean, the, the weather turned cold, and he's got a lot of hardware in his right leg from that accident and uh, it doesn't work well with cold weather. So let's hope that the weather cooperates. It looks like they're gonna get some rain though. But that also adds an element of strategy to the to the event. Uh, certainly seeing many, many a masters played in the rain. And so that'll, that'll, that'll play out. But I don't know if, Matt, if Tiger is even at that stage yet where he thinks he can win right now.
2: Well, listen, by the time you listen to this, we will already sort of know kind of how this is starting to stack up. But it'll be interesting to see if any of what we just said is coming to fruition. There's always a surprise in the Masters. Always a surprise. And now that we're in, when you're listening to this day two, there might be already some surprises emerging. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk Saints and Pelicans. We'll see you after this break.
3: Subscribe for free to the Coast View podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1.
2: Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Jeff Duncan. I really enjoyed that conversation about the Masters. It's on everybody's mind, especially if you enjoy sports. Even if you're not a golfer, you probably watch the Masters, just like I do. So, uh, man, as we we barrel toward the drive. We've got some interesting visits happening with the Saints, and you guys have you you and your team have been sort of making placing your bets on what you think the needs are going to be, and how they're going to be dealt with. But uh, let's let's start with some of the, some of the visits that you're seeing.
1: Well, let, let me explain to listeners and viewers these th- these what they call top thirty visits. Every team gets to invite thirty different draft prospects to the campus, if you will, to the headquarters fly them in and uh, get a chance to visit with them. Usually it's a full day type of visit. And, um, you know, sometimes it's an indication that that they're interested in that player. Sometimes it's nothing more than fact finding. There may be like some medical uh, information they need to get on that player that they didn't get at the combine. Sometimes it might be some background checks uh, on some things that they didn't get final information on. So I, I always caution people... Uh, just because they bring somebody in doesn't mean that's the guy they're going to draft. I mean, I, I've covered this a long time, and there's been a lot of visits where players are, you know, don't end up on the Saints. First of all, they they have 30 players coming in; they only get to draft like six or seven. So, uh, don't don't put too much stock into it because lots of times it's just. Sometimes I've had coaches tell me in the past they're bringing guys in basically to fool other teams into thinking that they're interested in that player just to create a little interest. And that could easily be the case with Hendon Hooker, who's the Tennessee quarterback. The reason I I mentioned that is the Saints are positioned at the end of round one, you know, draft pick number 29. That is a key spot in some ways because it's the end of the first round. And when you draft a player in the first round, you get control of them for five years so a lot of quarterbacks are taken toward the end of the first round because as a, as a team, you can get that quarterback on a rookie contract for five years. It, once they go to the second round, it's only you only have a four-year contract. as a maximum you can sign them to. So a guy like Hendon Hooker, if you think he can be your long-term quarterback, you can get him on a five-year deal. That's a key spot at the end of the first round where he's being projected to go. If you can create the illusion that you might draft him, some team might want to come up and get ahead of you or or actually trade with you to get into that spot to take him. So I, I wouldn't, you know, there's a lot of subterfuge and stuff that goes on at this time of year. I'm not saying the Saints aren't interested in Hindenhooker. I'm just saying there's a lot that goes into these visits sometimes that more than meets the eye, I put it that way.
2: Some serious chess playing going on. And by the way, you know, the Saints have done so good with drafting later in the round, you know, in later rounds, some really good players. And in some cases not drafting players at all and getting them in here as undrafted free agents. They may not want to show their hand on those kind of players. Wouldn't you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, a of, lot of times in the, I'm writing a column. So good timing on that, Ricky. I'm, I'm writing a column this week on the history of the saints uh, and the undrafted players that come, that slip through the cracks for whatever reason, and end up not getting drafted, and they've basically become free agents, and there's it's really a hectic period. But the Saints, you could make an argument right now, three of their top offensive players, Taysom Hill, Rashid Shaheed, and Jawan Johnson, the tight end that just re-signed with them, all were undrafted players. And they're three critical playmakers for the Saints on offense. And Carl Granderson, who's going to be their starting right defensive end, didn't get drafted. They got him in the undrafted ranks. So, you can't overlook that phase of the of the draft. They, for, there's different reasons that players fall slip through the cracks. I mean, the guy I'm writing the book on, Steve Gleason, played eight years, wasn't drafted, uh, was the special teams captain for a number of years. Uh, so it happens every year. We see the Saints get these players, and they turn them into productive uh, guys in, into their into their program.
2: So your team got together, you among them, and y'all decided, you know, you shared what you what you believed the Saints were going to do in terms of what positions they would address. What, what was your view? Did you hear anything interesting from your other team players or you know, basically you're all singing from the same hymnal?
1: Well, I just think it's it's kind of a fool's errand to try to figure it out. Even the Saints don't know, Ricky. I mean, uh, when you're down that low in the first round, you're the victim of circumstances ahead of you. Player, so many teams are drafting ahead of you. You're trying to do your your due diligence to figure out how the draft's going to fall, but you never know. Every team is different. All it takes is one team to pick somebody that no one else expected that they have high on their board or make one trade and it just throws everything into a wrench. So the Saints, that's what they're you know, director of college scouting Jeff Ireland and his staff, the scouting staff, and Mickey Loomis and Dennis Allen. That's what they're doing here over the next couple of weeks is trying to figure out who might be available. We always called it the bullpen or the cloud of players. They have a handful of players, but the way I try to, to tell people uh, about when you're drafting at this spot is the the, the draft board's always set up with 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 grades, and and usually at the lower end of the first round, you're getting, it's not one stacked vertically with a bunch of players, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, it's not like that. It's it's a group of players in different positions that all have the same grade. It might be a 6.5 grade, and you might have two offensive linemen, a linebacker, a safety, a quarterback, and they all have the exact same grade, meaning they're all gonna probably end up being this level of player in the NFL. That's why, it, 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 you know, when you say who they're going to take, well, it all depends on who's there at the time and the grade that you have on that player. And, and so, you know, the, the need that the Saints have right now, in my opinion, the greatest need they have is, is defensive tackle and interior defensive lineman. Uh, if there's somebody at that position that is graded, you know, in that group that we're talking about, that's who I think they'll probably take. But if there's a player, a running back or a receiver, or something that's graded higher than the defensive tackle, I think they take the player at the highest grade. So it, it, it's it's more about the grade than it is the ranking and, and the position because the Saints always operate uh, trying to fill all their holes in free agency so they can just take the best players when they get on the board.
2: Well, if you pointed out many times in the past, we are lucky to have Jeff Ireland. He, he is unique in his position, maybe a competitive advantage for the Saints. Is what is what makes him so good? His ability to grade. What's 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 his well, magic? They
1: just, they just put in a ton of work. They, they their attention to detail, uh, the thoroughness and their background checks. And then they believe in a couple of things. One, they believe in uh, you know uh, positional prototypes. And I've, I've written about this extensively. Uh, they want big guys. They don't believe in small smaller players. Now they will make exceptions. Uh, But for the most part, they have physical prototypes. That's why you see their defensive linemen are all 6'3", 6'5". Offensive linemen, they want their corners to be above 6 feet tall. You won't see them draft a 5'10'' cornerback. They just won't do it. Now, they might do it in the sixth round, but that player is going to get downgraded because he doesn't fit their prototypes. And then the thing they'd really emphasize under Jeff Ireland is finding players with maturity, I think emotional and uh, intelligence, uh, they want players that love football, that might come to New Orleans and not be tempted by some of the temptations we have here that are into becoming professional athletes and understand the rigors of that uh, preparation schedule during the week. So they put a lot of time in uh, peeling back the onions on these prospects to figure out you know, who is into the game, who's emotionally mature, who can handle getting paid millions of dollars and not let that go to their heads. There's just a lot that goes into it. And they, they would rather, I think, take a safe pick. And a guy, uh, you know, a, a good example would be, say, a guy like a Pete Werner, who, who's turned out to be a very solid player. He's probably never going to be a, a all-pro or anything, but you know what you got with Pete Werner. He's going to be a yeah. solid contributor to your team. Uh, that That's the kind of detail that they go into to find to find these prospects and to stack them on their board.
2: There's a lot more we could talk about with the Saints, but we'll just see how all this sort of begins to play out, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll bring you the latest next Friday. Coming to the Pelicans, with Pelicans were about dead on the vine, and then they went over a stretch of seven games and won six games out of the seven games, and Brandon Ingram, as I mentioned, just had a hell of a, of a run. Um, what's your current thinking, and what's the latest on Zion?
1: Well, the Zion News is encouraging. Uh, I, I Look, everything I've heard, he wants to play. I mean, they've had meetings. I think he's close to playing. He's going to have another uh, medical eval on Saturday morning. And if everything's good, he might practice Saturday. We could see him in a game against the Minnesota Timberwolves this weekend. It'd probably be very limited, but I think that would be a huge momentum boost. I think it would give the team a lot of confidence. Uh, You know, certainly the fan base would be energized by that. I mean, he's missed so many games uh, for so long. Just to get him back out there, I think, would be huge for the rest of the team, even in the limited capacity. Such a difference maker and a great way to go into the playoffs. It looks like, you know, that big win they got against Memphis this week. I mean, they were down 19 points at one point. Come back, get into overtime, win by seven against a rival. Uh, That was huge. It, It certainly puts them in position... To make the playoffs now i think they're going to get in now what level will they be in the play-in are they going to you know try and get in a seating i don't know there's too, still too much left at this stage to figure out but i, I think they're clearly going to be playing beyond the regular season
2: it's gonna be fun to watch especially zion gets back it's gonna be fun to watch a lot of players have stepped up in in zion's absence and uh, that's why you were able to have that stretch hey when we come back i want to we're going to shift the gears in, entirely and spend the last segment just talking about the latest and jeff's efforts working with steve gleason to write his inspiring book we'll see you after this
3: So, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast.
0: This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1.
2: Welcome back to Coast. You always enjoy catching up with Jeff. We're going to kind of shift gears for a minute and talk about Jeff's effort working with Steve Gleason to write his inspiring book. And one of the things I was thinking about this morning, uh, uh, Jeff, is that when the Superdome opened and uh, the Saints won that game against Atlanta and Steve blocked that punt, it was, you know, I've said this before, but that I was having an out-of-body experience. I mean, maybe it was, all the stuff that the Katrina and waiting for the dome to be rebuilt, the difficult time the Saints had the year before just to pull their season together. And then when that punt got blocked and then you had that incredible halftime show. Oh my gosh, man. I mean, everything about that game was an out of body experience for me. And now I look back to it. I'm not the only one who felt that way. I think we all felt an out of body experience, but but it was it was it was coming back from Katrina. It was a great game. It was everybody was together. There was a sense of brotherhood, and Steve Gleason got seared into the souls of Saints fans and this team in ways we could have never imagined. And then look where we are today. I mean, it's amazing to me that that you know that what has happened since then. But. That was an incredible moment, and Steve did become part of history of this this organization in that moment, didn't
1: he? Yeah, that that night was—I uh, tell people all the time—much much bigger than just sports or football. I mean, that <laughs> game kind of was about the you know the return of the Gulf Coast, return of New Orleans. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, across the country watched that game; it had huge ratings. Uh, because uh, it was the first time they're getting a chance to see a game in the Superdome since all those images, those horrific images of the, of the stadium after in the wake of Katrina and the roof being torn off. Uh, there was a lot of doubt and uncertainty as, of you know, would the city even be able to to recover? And I think Steve, uh, you know, when that moment kind of uh, symbolized uh, the resilience of the people of the Gulf Coast and. Uh, you know, his story has certainly been played out since then, but uh, there was no better person to have that happen to. you know the, the, able to make that play a guy that basically wasn't drafted. five ten, he looks like all of us. He's not some big you know hulking behemoth. Uh, he's a guy that people could identify with in every man. And so for him to marry a New Orleans girl, right? You know, so he he was the perfect person to have accomplished that task. And now there's a, a bronze statue of the moment out for, all, for posterity on the apron of the Superdome.
2: I was literally about to bring that up. You know, it was, and we've talked about running through the French Quarter and along the river. But one of my runs actually took me to the dome. And then I would run around the dome. And every time I passed the statue, it it just there's something about looking at that statue. First of all, it reminds you that you you know it reminds you you were there and what that special moment was. It's it when you look at the statue, it seems like so long ago. I guess in a lot of ways, it was a long time ago. But it just it just but you know what? How are people going to look at that statue twenty years from now? You know, thirty years from now. Because uh, it will always be there. It's just incredible reminder of that moment. Anyway, what's the latest, man? How are you doing with the with the book writing, and how's it coming?
1: Well, it's funny you bring it up because literally right before the we recorded the program, uh, we're talking about the statue unveiling in the book. We're writing about that right now, and uh, <laughs> we're we're including the inscription on the statue uh, in the book process. So we're we're talking about it. and look, I, I, I'll give a little insight into that day because. Steve's writing about it as we speak. That morning, as he was getting ready for the statue ceremony, which was going to have the mayor and the governor, of course, Tom Benson was there, a bunch of his teammates. And that morning, he struggled physically to even get out of bed. Uh, he had an accident in the bed. Uh, you know, it, it's it's the juxtaposition of the reality of his existence that he's going to basically have this heroic moment where everyone's going to honor him, and yet his physical decline at that time 2014 was real and he was losing functionality of his body and uh, he, he's writing about the emotions of that day of of yeah everyone's you know treating me like a hero here i'm i'm, I'm basically being uh, you know um, memorialized in this statue and yet i can't even hardly get out of bed that day so it's it's the reality of where he's at with this disease and uh, it's extraordinary that he's still going strong. We're now coming up on year thirteen of his uh, diagnosis, and he's still uh, cranking out. I, I watch him every day. the The attention to detail, the effort that he took into forging an eight year NFL career, I see it every day on this book project. He exhausts himself in the mission, and it's easy to see why he was so successful uh, as an NFL player and in life in general with the with the work ethic and the passion that he. That he exhibits every day.
2: He had to have gone through so many stages in the process of writing this book because he's having to relive all these incredible moments. But at the end of the day, the book will finally, when it's in the final analysis, be as much a book about life and overcoming adversity than it will be anything else.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. It's really less about the disease and less about football. All that's in there. Trust me, it's a memoir of his life. But it's mainly about, uh, you know, how you deal with adversity in life. And Steve's lessons learned along this extraordinary journey that he's on, he and Michelle both. Uh, Michelle's a prominent character in this book, as, as Steve wanted, because it's really their story as, as much as his.
2: What an honor it is for you to write it. And as we continue to have our conversations in the, in the day and weeks and months to follow, you can share, you know, how your life has changed as a result of it, and how people's lives will change when they read this book. Anyway, Jeff Duncan from Nola.com of the Times. Thank you, man. It's been a great pleasure, my friend. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Ricky. Have a great weekend. We'll talk next week, buddy.
2: You bet. We'll see. You. We'll see you next week with Jeff, and see you Monday for Coast View. Have a great weekend, and enjoy the Masters and some maybe a little bit rainy weather, but we'll make the best of it. See you Monday.